Hello and welcome to the Mountain Conversations podcast, the show that celebrates the beautiful planet we call home. Each episode, alongside an expert who is passionate about their subject, we will take you on a journey to get you excited about the topic. This is a show about hope and positivity, and it's my hope that by learning something new each episode about the work of amazing people who dedicate their lives to making a difference, you will be inspired to take action and get involved in the efforts to preserve our beautiful home, planet Earth. I'm Charlie, and this is Mountain Conversations. Thank you for joining me for another episode. Um, I am really excited to actually be sat in front of my guest in a theatre today. I am here with author, broadcaster and professor of evolutionary biology. It is Ben Garrett. Hi, Ben. Hi. I'm really excited to actually be sat with a guest. I've only ever really done the Zoom one, so this makes a very nice change. It's (laughs) nice to be back in some way face-to-face in a it safe is. capacity but it, we've missed that interaction we're, we're a social species absolutely and we're obviously here for your uh, your show which we're all very excited about mm-hmm. um how's it going it's going really well so far it's uh it's my dinosaur theater show uh, challenging how much kids really know about dinosaurs and trying to get them involved into the stem subjects so science technology engineering maths and medicine to onboard them and it's 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 chaotic, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> well, I know. I've got two kids out there very excited for it. Um, so without further ado, could you introduce the topic we're going to chat about today? Absolutely. I want to talk about how nature should be for everyone. Yeah. So by the word should, I'm assuming that you're going to suggest that it's not. It's not, no. I mean, science isn't for everyone. Nature isn't for everyone mm-hmm. in, in a practical sense. Yes. Um, there are so many reasons why... I find it easier to engage with science and to engage with nature than, than somebody else might, somebody who's listening, for example. And yep. that's not okay. Mm-hmm. It's Partly it's this ivory tower sense that we've had this, this possessive, it belongs to me and it belongs to the people who've paid for these nature reserves or who are engaging with science already, um, who have who've qualified, inverted commas, to become a scientist. What does it mean to be a scientist? What does it mean to go outside and, and enjoy and, and work with nature and, and, and in, a, in a sense that you're, you're benefiting from it? I think we need to, more than ever before, help and support and onboard and capacity build, all those sort of buzz terms, as many people as possible to get outside into nature, but also to onboard science into their lives. The amount of people who I regularly speak to who say, oh, I just don't do science. It's mm-hmm. like, you do. The fact you can yeah. see, the fact you can breathe, the fact you are your cells are aspiring right now, that your <laughs> yes. dog is wagging its tail, I'm drinking a latte, all these different things, everything is dictated by science. Mm-hmm. You don't do science, then you, you're not even an inanimate object because they're <laughs> guided by science. You are guided by science. So how do we help people understand that and how do we help people embrace that in many ways? And I think it's an issue that we have in terms of not making things open, open access. We talk about open access mm-hmm. within academia. Yeah. We should make science open access. We should make Absolutely. nature open access. Yes, and that's that was the whole sort of inspiration behind starting this podcast is because obviously I'm really excited about science. Even science that I don't know anything about really excites me. Um, and I speak to so many people that think, you know, oh God, science. Oh, really? Oh, that's boring. And I'm like, is it? Is it though? Um, I think it's just about engaging and talking to people in the right way about it. So 
can we rewind slightly and just talk about what it was that sparked your sort of passion and what, what was it that made you go, I know you've told this story a million times and I've actually just read it in one of your books, but, <laughs> <laughs> but for the audience, you know, if we're talking about getting people inspired and what was it that set it off for you? I don't know which one you've read because there are a couple actually, <laughs> but for me, I think that going back as far as possible, it was, I grew up in quite an impoverished town um, on the East Coast. In fact, it's a town that has either joint or the worst uptake for higher education in Britain. Okay. Um, so I didn't come from an academic background. Um, there was no aspiration from school to go to university or become a scientist. It just wasn't on anyone's radar to do that. And that's not to say, pe- to say people weren't supportive. We just didn't know that was there. Yeah. That, that wasn't an option. Um, and my mum and dad ran and owned a couple of pubs in, in the town where I grew up. And because they were so busy, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. Yeah. Um, mainly with one side, my mum's side, and my granddad used to be a mole catcher. He was a mole catcher, and I kind of <laughs> want to say poacher, um, probably as well in some respects. Um, <laughs> Either way, it taught me a lot about being around nature, mm-hmm. everything yeah. from we'd go to golf courses and, and racetracks to catch moles, things I would never want to do now, yes. but as a little boy yeah. who's four or five, learning that these things tunneled underground and, and then learning that granddad used to get the skin and sell the skin to buyers in London mm. for moleskin clothes and all these wonderful things just, it just didn't quite add up in my head, but also it was, it was walking on beaches every day with my granny and granddad. Um, and the stories that was the important thing for me we'd find these things washed up on the beach and it might be a feather it might be a porpoise skull or it might be a huge blob of something that we couldn't quite tell whether it was seaweed or what but it was it was the stories that we made up about the things that we found so rather than saying I just don't know and often they didn't I, I guess and I didn't but it was that narrative, that story around the discoveries that I think is really important for science for me. Um, and that was it. I mean, that was that, was the, the, that sort of that, that was spark, that, that sort of tinderbox of, mm-hmm. of, of exploration. There were other ones not long after when went fossil hunting on a local beach again with mum and dad and we found this tiny little bellum night, this hundred million year old fossil related to a squid and took it to school. And I'd never heard that things were fossilised before and I didn't know how things could be... Uh, hundreds if not thousands if not millions of years old it just didn't equate into my head we didn't have the same access obviously that we have today in terms of digital media so I couldn't go and google what a bellamite was we we had to go to a library and then even in the school we we had to find out the one book that might have some dinosaurs in but there weren't bellamites in Mm -hmm. there and then it was well where have these things gone why are they there why 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 isn't there anything like this now and for me again that was this one little fossil I think helped consolidate this this journey into into science, which has never really gone. I was I always say I was a very nerdy, geeky kid, and now I'm just a very nerdy, geeky adult. Same kid, just in an adult's body. And I think that's many many of us scientists exactly how we are. Absolutely, yes, no, definitely. And I think I've said it a couple of times um, before in previous episodes that I always say if we could harness the excitement of children when they see the world around them and when they experience the world around them. I mean, like my kids outside, you know, getting so excited about reading books about nature and watching TV programmes about nature and being outside in nature. If we could harness that and pass it on to adults, then I think, I think we might be all right. But it's how do we do that is the, is the question. So I think more is why do we lose that? Mm. When does that go? And the people who don't lose that very often are the iconic individuals that we look up to so well we look up to 
Dr. Jane Goodall, mm. the woman who worked with chimps for, for over 50, nearly 60 years, who was still as passionate about her tiny part of the natural world as she ever was as, as, a, young, as a young person. She tells stories about seeing an egg, egg being laid by a chicken for the very first time. She still mm. has that same passion. David Attenborough, the world's favourite national treasure granddad. Yeah. <laughs> He's a, he is still incredibly passionate and excited and excitable and childlike. And I say the word childlike when I talk about David. Not saying he's childish. He, is, he can be, <laughs> in a good way. But he's, he's childlike in that reverence, in that excitement, in that, that pure joy that he takes from the natural world. Why do the majority of us lose that? And I think that's really sad. It's not how do we get what kids have. Yeah. It's why do we lose what we had when we were kids? How do we keep it? And I know, I know, if, if we know anecdotally speaking, I've got family members that say, oh God, aren't, why do you always talk about birds? Aren't birds for old people? I'm like, just as no, I just don't, I never know how to respond, to be honest, but it just, it does always make me think, well, when did we get from how my six-year-old is to how my 30-year-old cousin is? When did that, and I do think, I do think a lot of it comes down to sort of how we're taught in schools. I know I, for one, lost my interest in science and I lost my way in science because of the way it's taught it's a fact-finding exercise it didn't excite me it took me to become an adult again and sort of realize that it's not all just reading what's in a book it's actually getting out there and experiencing so how do you think we can well how do you think we can ensure that adults don't lose that what could we do (laughs) what are we doing well I think there is the good news is I think we're doing more now than we've ever done before Mm. Um, and I work with I'm a trustee for Norfolk Wildlife Trust one of the the 46 trusts we have in the UK Um, I sit as an ambassador for the Youth STEM Awards um, which is like a very nerdy, sciencey version of the, the Duke of Edinburgh Awards to get kids engaged with science, technology, engineering, maths, and medicine. Um, and that, I mean, I could name there are hundreds, if not thousands, of different organisations mm-hmm. just in the UK alone. Um, and that's really refreshing and really encouraging. And the nice thing is, they're not all come along as a natural historian, come along as an expert. We don't need. No you to be an expert in order to engage with nature, with science. Mm-hmm. And there was one in the, the start of the pandemic where I live in Bristol and a bunch of, of blokes who own dogs who are finding things stressful were meeting up a couple of times a week to walk their dogs in parks and, and forests yeah. in a safe manner and not let the dogs off too much um, around, around Bristol. That was a bunch of, bunch of men combining mental health, walking their dogs, in nature suddenly. Mm-hmm. That's just as important as someone going bird watching or someone, I do lots of running. I do lots of running in and around uh, towpaths and in forests and across uh, heathlands where there, well, there's no nesting birds and things like that. You can do those things. I'm not going to go look for birds. Yeah. But I've stopped and looked, looked at chuffs flying over me down in Cornwall and, and seals on beaches whilst running. You can do all that whilst doing something else. And I think we need to take this idea away that you have to go and sit there and whisper mm-hmm. and spend 12 hours getting soaked and wet. Yeah. You don't have to do that. You can go and have fun, whether it's a picnic, whether it's a bike ride, whether it's, it's a, take the dog out. It doesn't matter. If you're engaging with science and the outdoor world, it's there for you. And a massive, massive issue has always been the demographic who's able to do this. Yeah. Um, a huge issue, obviously, is it's, it's much easier for me as a white guy to go and enjoy nature. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's inherently, inherently a point of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, there are groups now who are really pushing this and really spreading the net of, of inclusivity to make inner city kids from completely different backgrounds 
feel they're able to engage with nature. And there are some, some young women, especially on social media, who are doing incredible work. There are the, the Muslim hikers group who are doing some amazing stuff right yeah. now who are, who are challenging this concept that it belongs to one part of society. And this isn't this tokenism or this token gesture, yeah. oh, let's look, we can, we can get these people and these people. They should be there. Mm-hmm. They, they, it, it shouldn't be the 21st century that we're having to, we're having to find ways to encourage different yeah. groups to feel okay. And we've done a terrible job on, on, on making it inclusive. And that goes right from charities right down to the way the public perceives what, what nature's there for. And this concept, and even I feel, I, I, I work with charities and I'm a biology professor. I still feel sometimes I'm not the right person to go out in nature because I'm not, I can't identify every bird by its yeah. name. And you know what? I don't care. No. But it takes me from a point of privilege to go, I don't really give a toss. Mm. I'm still out there. If that bird sings and it sounds really nice, fine. Yeah, I don't need to fine. prove to you I know what that bird is, that it's a yeah. juvenile so-and-so <laughs> at this yeah. point in the year and it's lost one of its feathers. I don't care. I don't know. We need to get away from that. But it's a big step to suddenly go, I don't have to do all that to enjoy nature. Yeah. And also it's prohibitively expensive. Which binoculars have you got? Oh, what shoes do you have? Yeah. Oh, have you got the, the have you got Gore-Tex this? Have you got this and this? And that's not having a go at any brands, but suddenly... There's almost a uniform. There's a code. Yeah. There's a, and that's wrong as well. I, I am literally stood here right now. We're sat here next to you right now in a pair of running trainers with a really dirty, scruffy old top, <laughs> dirty jeans. That's what I go out into nature in. Yeah. I don't put if, if it's especially really dreek and dark and, and claggy, then yeah, I'll put a pair of walking boots on. Yeah. But they are a crappy old pair of walking boots. They are They're not the best. the best. They're the best. <laughs> yeah. But this, this sort of elitism that goes along with it as well, I think is really off-putting to a lot of people and we need ways of, of, of breaking that barrier down. And this is the same way right through science. As this, oh, we talk about this ivory tower in academia. There's like a green tower within nature. There's this sense of, yeah. I've earned my point to get here. I've got my special binoculars from Leica or from Swarovski mm-hmm. or, or yeah. Zeiss or whoever. Um, there's nothing wrong with that if you've got those, but if you don't have those, it doesn't make you any less able or less deserving to engage with nature, I think. No, and I mean, it's it can be so... I used to be put off because, obviously, I've always enjoyed being out. Obviously, you know, I'm always up a mountain mm. or doing something outside. I'm just I'm just one of these people that can't sit sit down for two minutes. So... I do, I do, yeah, I'm always outside, but I always did feel, oh, I can't, oh, I can't get involved with birding and things, because I don't know, you know, I can tell a magpie, magpie from a pigeon, but that was about it. Now I'm getting better. I bought myself a book. Um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> yesterday, I mean, for example, with me and the kids went out for a three-mile walk in the rain. We had the, uh, the picture this app on the phone, and we were going along, and every few minutes the kids would stop and say, oh, what's this, what's this? And it was such an easy way of just, you take a quick picture and it identifies it for you. So I think the tools are there to make nature more accessible. It's just, as you say, it's bridging this gap between where I was, thinking, oh, I can't get involved in that, I don't know anything about it, and just making people realize that it's there, just look out of your window. You know, even if you live in a high rise, flat you know there's going to be birds flying around they're there right there for you that's a big thing i think yeah so it's a it's a two-way thing isn't it so we say we as as conservationists as as ngos who are non-government organizations charities i guess um have a lot to do as well but equally there's a part of that that's on the individual you're right and what you complete what you say there you don't have to go to 
the new forest in order to enjoy being outdoors or to to the beach for example whatever it'd be nice to that's just one example yeah. a bird box outside your window mm-hmm. or a, 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 a seed tray mm-hmm. on your windowsill makes a massive difference a bug hotel and yes it's not the same the course is different but it's, the, it's that it's that accessibility it's that onboarding it's that way of making you feel that barrier isn't as insurmountable as, as we might imagine, I think, in, in some ways. Um, it is, I, mean, I can say all this because I am on board with nature. I, I do feel okay with it. I do feel it's easy for me to be outside now. I'm a white male mm-hmm. professor doing all these things. Yeah. But equally, I still have seen it's really tough. And I, I do understand it's really hard. And I think what I want to try and get across is whatever works for you, it's okay. Mm-hmm. We talked. You just mentioned technology there. There was a real sort of gut response from a lot of people going, "Oh, technology! No, it's, it's a place where you yeah. don't engage with technology. That's the whole point of nature." Mm-hmm. So I've got two points on that. First of all, I think tech is absolutely bloody wonderful mm-hmm. to engage with nature. Yeah. Whether it's Pokemon Go, because you know what, it yeah. got people outside, yeah. walking, yeah. engaging, seeing. If I could develop an app that was based on Pokemon Go that would help you find yeah. species around your local environment. I would completely get on with that. Yeah. I, I completely would. Uh, and whether it's listening to birds and IDing what they are through that, whether it's using GPS to find different routes, whether it's taking photos, and if you're doing it, just to go out there and put things on Instagram to show that you're in these wonderful places. Crack on. You're there. You're There's nothing it. yet. Yeah. Technology and nature are not mutually exclusive. And also the other idea of what's the point of you going out there? And, and we've already we've both said this as well, things you get from it. You don't have to achieve something by going to nature. You don't have to go, I want to get this and this and this from it. Yeah. I want to improve my mental health. I want to lose weight. I want to go and see these birds. I want to go and... If you want to do those, great. But if you equally go, I don't know what I'm going out there for, no. that's okay. I don't know why I run. I have no <laughs> idea why I run. I'm not doing it for my mental health. No. I'm not doing it because I lose weight. I'm not doing it because X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. I just do it because I do it. I don't even especially enjoy it half the time. <laughs> and that's okay as well. Because yeah. I feel this drive to do it. And when I do it afterwards, at some point, when my legs have recovered, I think that was not too bad. I think nature's the same. You don't have to have this, this construct of, I'm doing X to achieve Y. Yeah. It's not a transactional thing. If you benefit from nature, great. You will benefit from nature. But if you don't know why you're doing it in the first place, just give it a go. Just crack on. But don't yeah. add that stress to your already... Already, sort of perceived problem that you can't engage with nature, and it's 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 not going to help. I don't think. I think it's it comes from sort of where we are in society at the minute. We're used to these transactional um, processes, aren't we? Everything in our, we do everything in our life is for a reason. If you know what I mean, isn't it? We get up, we go to work. We everything has a purpose, and everything has to have a purpose. We're all about the purpose of our lives and the meaning of our lives. I think once you can understand that and let go, and just you know, as you say, you don't know why you run. I don't know why I go up mountains. <laughs> The other week I was halfway up Snowden thinking, oh, God, why am I doing this? What is wrong with me? It was windy, it was raining. <laughs> you get through the cloud inversion at the top and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's why I did it. But, you know, it's not, I, I do it because it's there. And I think that's it, isn't it? It's yeah. just getting yeah. over that. And I do, do you think the lockdown had an impact in getting people out there and sort of... For some people, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously the lockdown for many people was, was horrific. And for others, it was an opportunity. Um, and for others, it was somewhere in between. So I think for those of us who were able to use it as an opportunity, I think that's great. Yeah. I would love those of us who saw those benefits 
to not forget those benefits, yes. to not yeah. rush back to the how it was previously. Yes, I mean, it's great we're getting back to, I say inverted commas, normal, mm. but we'll never be back where we were, and I don't think we should in many ways, but equally, a lot of us took stuff away from that. I, I, I had a lot of soul searching and did mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff in, in my lockdowns and yep. got a lot from it. And yes, it was still harrowing and that's not to detract from that. But I do think it gave a lot of people a pause, a, uh, almost like a, at the end of a chapter. Yep. It depends on how you write that next one. So I think that's it. And, it's, and the nice thing is you can do this at any time. Yeah. You can decide to go for a walk tomorrow. You can decide to go for a drive to the beach. Even if you have to drive to the beach and go to enjoy nature, don't feel guilty about that. And that's another thing. Don't feel guilt about what you do, that you don't belong there. No. I read a group a thing recently where a group were starting hiking. It was a great, it was an unrepresented, or a poorly represented group who already aren't out in nature enough. Um, and they received disproportionate levels of abuse because they were responsible for causing erosion in hills and there was about 10 people walking and suddenly these hills that have been walked for thousands of years are suddenly crumbling yeah. because a, a, a different group is suddenly walking on them mm-hmm. it's, don't feel guilty and that's easy for me again for me to say that don't anyone make you feel guilty um, we've all got an equal right to, to the wild places around us and at the end of the day we are part of nature people forget that we we are absolutely <laughs> intrinsically linked to nature, for better or worse, and 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 I think that's becoming more and more apparent with the extreme weather and the changing climate, and we're seeing species loss. And never was there more important time, I think, to engage with nature for the benefit of nature as well as the benefit of us as yeah. well. This is, I guess, what we've come full circle. What we just said. This is, in many ways, a transactional thing. There are seven and a half billion of us on Earth. Do we really want to leave it just the politicians to try and save our planet? Yeah. Because I don't trust them in no. any way, shape or form enough no. to safeguard my planet. And it's your planet and it's everyone who's listening. It's their planet. We can only make that difference when we know about the things around us. And we can only do that when we start to feel passionate about those things as well. I think that's really important. So then the big question then is how do we do that? Do we start with, do we start with the kids? Do we start with, with you know, what, what, what you're doing today and engaging kids in science? Or do we, do we have to target the adults? Where do, we, what, where do we go? What are the charities that sort of you work with doing? How, I know it's a big question, but... <laughs> there's no reason you can't target both. And yeah. you can't work with both. And there's no reason you can't work with the very oldest to the very youngest. It's, it's, it's there for all of us. It, it'll involve different ways of... of liaising with and making our world and, and our natural places more accessible and often that will depend where you are but um, I'm now working with one of my charities that we are getting or s- securing some inner city land mm-hmm. and making that a protected wild space to get people who they might only be two miles from their nearest other reserve but mm-hmm. those two miles might as well be 20 or 30 miles or 200 miles so how do we bring nature to you to to the to the to the average person and and how do we how do we make it accessible to kids who are driven by technology to maybe some older members of the community who have mobility issues mm-hmm. how yeah. for, for those who are disabled yeah. right from those who are from unrepresented groups who women for example don't feel as safe as I do nine mm-hmm. times out of ten to go into a reserve I yeah. would happily walk into a reserve and not feel threatened I know that's a privilege that I have yeah. as a man how do we make sure that we can yeah. everyone can feel safe everyone can feel they have that same opportunity to engage and that's that's on us that's on the charities that's on governments that's on schools that's yeah. on councils we've got to make sure it's there for everyone and it's a huge job and it's not an overnight change 
but it's got to be done. Mm -hmm. It really does. Absolutely. And I know for I know obviously we've talked about it before. Obviously the accessibility of the outdoors to women. You know, I know you, you talk about your privilege as a man to be able to just go running. Like, but when I'm hiking, I can't put my my music in because I'm always having to be. I feel like I'm having to be constantly vigilant and having to look around me. And which I suppose. In one way, if we look at a plus side of it, it's made me engage with the world around me more. But on the, the, sad, the sad side of it is that I'm having to do that. And I can't yeah. just enjoy a podcast. I no. can't just walk around and enjoy a yeah. podcast in the forest because I'm constantly thinking, oh, what if, what if? So I suppose that's something that needs to start at the bottom, isn't it? Completely. Taught. Yeah. And you say that would be lovely if that was your decision to do mm. that, but it's yeah. not, it's unfortunately. Not. It's been taken. And it's yeah. a, a huge thing that you have managed to turn that into a positive, but it's, it's not okay. No. And it's not okay that someone from a, a different ethnicity doesn't feel as safe as I do, or someone who's much older will feel frail they can't access. Mm -hmm. um, I've got friends and, and colleagues and, and family who can't access lots of the outdoors because of mobility issues. That's not okay either. We need to, right across that range, we need yeah. to find a way of, of making everyone feel it's theirs. Because it goes back to this idea that, we keep saying things like COP26, we've all got this duty to care about the world around us. Why would I care if I can't access it, or if I don't feel safe in it, or if I don't feel it's welcoming me? Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's no way that's going to happen if we don't feel nature's there for all of us. And that's the irony. <laughs> I'm so lucky that I see that this is, is something that is there and could be beneficial, or even not beneficial, it doesn't have to be, like I said, for so many hundreds of thousands, millions of people, even in our own country. Imagine if we got a fraction of those more engaged on a regular basis. It would be it would be it would be wonderful. Well, I think it's I think again it's a lot of what's not. If you can't see it on your front doorstep, then people think, well, what's it got to do with me? Don't they? And I do think that is an issue. But going going back to that, I know we're we're, we're short for time now because you're about to go on stage. <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, so just to, just to wrap it up, um, if we're talking about persuading people that it's not just what's on your front door that's important you know about engaging with further field and what's around you how what's one thing that you would say to people what can they do to get involved in nature and sort of push themselves I suppose into I don't want to say uncomfortable territory but for some people it is you know breaking that boundary and going out into nature is I would say find a way that suits you that tailor is tailored to you as an individual that will get you out and doing something wild. And I've said wild in, in brackets there. <laughs> yeah. um, it hasn't got to be abseiling off a, off a cliff. It could just be a walk on the beach, or yeah. it could just be a walk to work rather yeah. than driving or rather than taking the train. And if that means you go with friends or colleagues, mm -hmm. try and do that. If that means you take a little bit longer out of your day, then try and do that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm completely appreciating this isn't always easy. Mm. But try and find a way to do something that you don't regularly do that's wild. And that can be the most tame thing you can imagine. Or it can be going up Snowden. Or it can be yeah. <laughs> running 18k on a beach next week. It doesn't have to be those yeah. extremes. Do something that you can look back on afterwards and go, huh, don't usually do that. Mm -hmm. That's one step. Yeah. You don't have to have the biggest step as your first step. No. Just go for it. No, someone once said to me, if you're clearing a field of stones, you don't start with the stone over there. You start with the one nearest to your feet, don't you? That is true. It yeah, really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we could. We this is obviously a very whistle-stop tour of accessibility in nature because, as we say, you are about to go on stage. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure we could go on for a long time. But um, just want to say thank you for taking this time. No worries. Um, and, yeah, hopefully we can come back to this at some point to expand on it and... 
I would love to. I think next time we should do it outdoors. Yes. Let's go for a walk. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. No worries. It was amazing to be able to have a face-to-face -face chat with Ben about a subject we're both so passionate about. Nature is all around us and everything that we are is humans, so for me it's so important to keep talking about this so we can finally get to a point where nature feels accessible for everyone. It's such a broad topic and Ben and I obviously didn't have time to talk about everything because he was about to go on stage, so I hope we can organise a walk along a Norfolk beach sometime to really get into this topic. I want to break it down and talk more about the amazing work being done by organisations and individuals to really push accessibility in nature and break down barriers that so many of us, myself included, still face. You don't have to know everything about every single bird species or be able to name every single tree that you walk past. I know I definitely can't without the help of the app I mentioned. But the point isn't to know everything about nature, the point is to just get out there and enjoy it. Stop on your walk to work and listen to the sounds you can hear. Step out into your garden and watch the birds that come to say hello and most of all, realise that you are in fact part of nature and we will not survive as a species if we continue on this path of destruction that we're currently heading down. Talk to friends, go for a walk if you can, look things up online and I, I promise you that once you open your eyes to the world around you, you will begin to feel part of it. That's why I created this podcast, to share with you the wonder and excitement my guests and I feel about this beautiful planet we call home. The great Sir David Attenborough, who is such an inspiration to so many people, said, The future of humanity, and indeed all life on Earth, now depends on us. I'm Charlie, and this has been Mountain Conversations.